Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Today our reading is from Matthew 11 verses 25 to 30. At that time Jesus said, I praise you Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. I think I'm on. Am I on? Good morning, everyone. Thanks, girls. So, as Joe said, my name's Amy Jones. I'm on the team here, and um, I'm just going to pray before we start. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for that time of worship, and that's all I want to do this morning, Lord, is speak Jesus. Just speak about you and how kind you are and how close you are. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as I speak, you would come close. Amen. Amen. So we're in August. And as lots of people have said already, this is a month of rest. And across four weeks, we're going to be looking about this idea of rhythms of rest. We're going to strip things back and slow things down. And that's the theory So I'm up first, I'm going to be speaking to you this morning about this idea of rest. And to be honest, when I first started to chat to Mark about speaking on rest, I found myself kind of with this like rising cynicism and challenge and like wrestle rising in me as I started to think about resting in August. I'm aware that I'm now a professional Christian which is such a treat. And it's quite easy for me to rest in August because that's how this place is kind of set up over this summer month. But maybe that's harder for you. And I know it used to be harder for me. For example, I know many families in my neighbourhood in the city where they don't get a holiday in August. And actually, it's a much harder month than all the others because they have four weeks of childcare to find and lunches to provide that school normally does. In my 20s, I used to work in London, and I worked at a PR firm, and I was a really junior member of the team. I actually never got past being a junior member of the team. And um, August was way harder than all the other months, because all the senior members of the team went on holiday, and I worked longer hours. Holiday and slowing down aren't a given in our lives. It could be seen as a kind of luxury item to rest and holiday. So I've been asking myself this week, What is it to rest? I don't know what your August looks like. Maybe you are looking forward to a holiday. Maybe you've had one already. Maybe it is a slower time of the year. Maybe it's harder than the rest or just another month. 
But I think in these verses that we look at this morning, all of us are called into rest. And I think that's a challenge because I think for some of us, me included at times, I can think, oh, I'm too busy to rest. There's too much going on. Even on holiday, I might find myself too busy to rest. So when I've been praying about this message and asking the Lord what he might want to say, the phrase that I felt for me and maybe for you over and over is just this idea that Jesus longs to be close to us. He longs to be close to us. And so everything I share this morning is about that closeness. How do we allow in our busy, frantic lives for Jesus to get closer to us? So first, I'm going to go through a couple of barriers that I think we experience in this kind of city life that are barriers to rest. And these aren't exhaustive. I've just sort of looked at my own life. (laughs) And they also apply all year, I think. So hopefully this is relevant to you even outside of the summer. So I've also tried to think about some of the sort of lies that might sit under these barriers to rest. What's going on in us when these things bubble up? So the first one is busyness. That's obvious, hopefully. There is always something to be done. There are high expectations of our lives. We have pressures. There are things being asked of us all of the time. I'm sure many of you will have heard said before that the main barrier to spiritual formation in our time is hurry. Corrie ten Boom, who survived awful conditions of the Second World War, said this, if the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. And another wise voice in my life is Dolly Parton. I'm sure she is for you. And she said this, Don't get so busy making a living that you don't make a life. And that hit really hard for me because I know sometimes I really struggle to lift my head and actually look at the life around me. Email is really fast. And yet now WhatsApp makes email look really slow. It used to be that our working day was busy and then I'm old enough that I used to work in a job where I left my computer I had no work phone, I came home and I went back the next day and I opened up my computer again. I didn't take anything home with me and work and and home were quite separate. But I know for lots of us now, work is on um, on our phone, at home with us. Lots of us work from home. Lots of us work flexibly, which can often mean working all the time. So in this busy city life, What actually, when we're busy in a time of rest, could be going on for us? And for me, I think the sort of niggle in my body when I am too busy to rest is this idea that I need to be useful and I need to be in control. There's things to do and I can't stop doing them. Next up, it's quite a cheerful list. Next up is distraction. It is such a challenge to rest, distraction. If you think of those obvious places of rest, maybe a holiday, a park, a nice restaurant, even your bed, places we traditionally would slow down and enjoy, how many of us turn to our phones in those places? Scrolling, posting pictures, looking at the news, checking our work from home. 
Expedia did this survey about 10 years ago now, so I'm sure these numbers might have even moved on from here. And it says with 2,000 participants, three quarters of them felt the need to post pictures on holiday. And over half of them said they missed out on experiences because they're on social media. I find that really tricky. And there are so many times in my life where I'm in a restful place, my children are playing, my husband is also playing, and I am sat on my phone. I'm just sort of sat on my phone, checking, checking, just this one checking thing. Distraction as a barrier to rest shows us it's not just about getting a holiday. I think it's something deeper than that for us to rest. And I wonder that underneath distraction could be this idea that I must be connected. I must be connected to the world. And if I'm not, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on something that I need to do. So the next is my biggest barrier to rest, is worry. I can be sitting in a park. As I've said, my husband will be at the top of a climbing frame with the children, throwing himself around. I can have a warm cup of coffee. There is nothing to do. And I'll have a knot in my stomach. You could send me to a desert island with a beautiful pool alone, and I will find something to worry about. There will be something that I'm concerned about, and it's really, really hard to overcome. I have been on a journey of anxiety and worry and giving that to the Lord for years now, but I do remember I used to hear sermons and conversation in church on rest and relaxation, and I would feel shame because I wouldn't be able to find that place of rest. I would think, I don't know how to get there, and I don't know if I'll ever know how to get there. When you think of rest, is it rest for your mind, your body, and your soul? Because for many of us, that is so much harder than just setting aside a Saturday with nothing to do. So underneath this sort of concern all of the time, this worry in me, is often this idea that I'm needed, that something could go wrong. I mean, I'm great for that. Like, in this scene, where are the dangers? I am sort of a natural risk assessor. Like, what could go wrong here? There's something that's going to unravel. Or this idea that if I rest, I will fall apart. Okay, finally, before you're utterly depressed, is this last idea of numbing. For me, often the only time, this is a bit of an overshare, but I'm going there anyway. Often the only time I am completely relaxed is when everyone in my house is asleep. It's maybe about quarter past ten, and I am alone on our sofa. I will then eat my favorite snack, which I hide in my kitchen, which is chocolate peanuts. And I will watch a TV show that no one else in my family wants to watch. I revel in that time alone. But this makes me tired in the morning. It doesn't actually bring me life. And often it's kind of this revenge for my day. I'm like, haha, I'm alone now and no one needs me. And so I'm going to watch this entire film and be exhausted in the morning. How many of us rest in that kind of white noise kind of way? Maybe you leave all the dishes in the sink and get a takeaway. Maybe you go drinking with friends. Maybe there's some other way that you escape your life. Numbing out isn't necessarily wrong. Like sometimes we do need to collapse in a heap. But I think we know when that's good for us 
and when we're running, when we're escaping our life for a few hours, when we're just running away from God and our responsibilities. I know in me when that's relaxing and when I'm running away. And underneath that is that simple idea that maybe when I'm numbing, I'm trying to escape. I can't face my life for a few hours. And it feels good in the moment, but there's a consequence. So hopefully, if you're not completely miserable after my little list, there's something that resonates for you, a barrier to rest. If I gifted you now a holiday somewhere glorious, when you get there, would you rest? Would you really rest? Would you find that simple? Or would there be something inside of you that got in the way? So let's look at our passage for today and see what the Lord has to say about rest. Jesus knows what it is to live a demanding life. He's needed. Everywhere he goes, people are asking for his help. His disciples depend on him. They're looking for him, for leadership and guidance. He's constantly traveling. His basic needs of food and shelter are something that he needs to come up with each day. He's constantly meeting new people and they're telling him all about their lives. I think his humanness, Jesus' humanness, is so important to think about when we think about this invitation in Matthew 11 to God's rest. He isn't someone that lived this kind of effortless, swimming through the day life. There was real challenge and yet still he speaks to us in this way. He was challenged He was persecuted. He was stretched and tired. He was traveling and laughing and weeping and preaching and walking everywhere. He was eating and sleeping and on and on it goes. He knows life and he knows what a full day looks like. This passage in Matthew 11 comes when the disciples have been traveling around, preaching and teaching and meeting people all over Galilee. It's interesting that in the earlier part of Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about places where his miracles have been rejected, where people haven't received him well. He's been in a place of challenge, a place where people haven't welcomed him, haven't listened to him, and he's had to just keep going. As I read these verses on rest again this week, I was reminded that Jesus speaks them into a busy, chaotic, and hostile environment. He also knows how demanding your life is. He knows how busy, distracted, worried you might be. He knows how stretched your days can become and all the things that fill your heart and your mind. And yet into this world of challenge, he offers you rest. He says to you, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. These verses are not suggesting this kind of pendulum swing from a busy life to an effortless one. He's not saying, just give up everything and come on retreat with me endlessly. Instead, Jesus is saying, come to me and exchange this heavy yoke of the world for my yoke. Interestingly, the word easy in the Greek is krestos, which means well-fitting. So actually here, what Jesus is saying is that the yoke he has for us fits us. 
He wants to take this heavy, ill-fitting yoke across your shoulders. Not take it off entirely and life becomes effortless, but to give you the yoke that was made for you, designed for you, given to you by Jesus. He asks us to put down the burdens and to pick up this beautifully crafted yoke from Jesus, one which we carry in relationship with him. Secondly in this that I've really noticed is this phrase, gentle and lowly. One of my favourite Christian books ever is this book called Gentle and Lowly by a guy called Dane Ortland. And he says this, Gentle and lowly, this, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, and understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus's own teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. So we know some of the barriers that we have to resting, and yet here is Jesus's kind and open, welcoming invitation into rest. But how? How do we do this in our lives? What does it look like? Do we stick these verses on our fridge and just crack on? Do we all throw our savings to the wind and book a holiday? Like, what does it mean? What does it look like? What does it look like in your life and in mine? Well, God gives us a practice throughout Scripture that puts this coming to Jesus into our lives. And it's called the Sabbath. Tish Harrison Warren, who is an Anglican priest in North America and speaks so beautifully in her books on formation in ordinary life, she says this, our formation has to be bodily. If rest is learned through habits of repetition, then so is restlessness. These habits of restlessness form us over time. We can't just learn the right things to be different from our culture around us. We have to replace one cultural practice with another. We have to do something as well as believe something. She's saying that we need to actively replace the busy things in our life with restful things. We need to take a look at the actuality of our week, of a day, and think about what it is to rest in reality. John Tyson, who you might have heard quoted up here before, he leads a church in New York. He says this, which actually I found really hard to hear and is so true. Jesus is not glorified when his followers are as stressed out and tired as the world around us. So Sabbath, we see, is a biblical command. From Genesis all the way through the Bible, God made the world in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. But for many of us, me included at times, this practice can feel really outdated. It kind of goes back to this time when shops were shut on a Sunday, or it maybe makes us think of a movie we might have seen where people don't turn the lights on or answer the door on a Sunday. You know, it's this kind of outdated, rule-bound practice. 
But actually, we need to think about Sabbath in the light of this Jesus that has invited us to come to him. This gentle and lowly Jesus that invites us into Sabbath. It's a timeless, forevermore practice that all are commanded to follow. And all who follow God have always been commanded to follow. It's really challenging. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's part of the created order of God. It's spoken about in Genesis, Exodus, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Acts, Luke, Mark, Matthew, Hebrews, and on and on it goes. It's all over Scripture. Interestingly, an American professor who speaks on time wrote this. In 1793, in France, in an effort to increase human productivity, the whole nation de-Christianized the calendar by modifying a seven-day week into a 10-day week so people would work for nine days and rest for one. New clocks were even invented to reflect this revised week pattern. The experiment, however, radically failed. Suicide rates skyrocketed in the country. People burned out and production decreased. Why? He says this, it turns out that humans were not made to work nine days and only then rest for one. We were made to work for six days and rest for one. The seven-day rhythm is sacred. The seven-day week is not the result of human ingenuity. It's a reflection of God's brilliance. We are made for this rhythm of work and rest. Whether it's August, January, September, whenever, we are made for this rhythm of rest. We're told we have to do it in order to live the Christian life that we're invited into. And yet so many of us really struggle with it. We know that to be a Christian means to come to church, to worship the Lord, to pray for one another, to be generous. But do we know that to be a Christian means to stop and rest one day a week? Andy Crouch is a writer on God and technology. He writes amazing stuff on kind of God and devices and this kind of current cultural moment. And he has amazing stuff to say about Sabbath. There's an interview on YouTube. It's about an hour and a half. It's very long. But it's really interesting if you kind of scroll through it. Of um, John Mark Comer speaking to him about this idea of kind of rest in an age of technology. And he says this. Sabbath makes self-pity impossible. You can't pity yourself when you're never more than six days from resting and feasting. I found that so tricky That idea that actually we're made to stop and rest and enjoy every week on repeat. So how do you come to Jesus in this way and let him give you this rest that he invites you into? Well, Sabbath might be one of these ways. I would really encourage you to give it a go if you haven't tried it before. Maybe you've tried it before and life crashed back in. I know for me, it's something that I've kind of had different iterations of through my Christian life. John Mark Comer, who writes a lot on Sabbath, suggests that it's a day set aside for these four things. Stopping, resting, 
delighting and worshipping. So I wonder, even if you could just think, if you had a day where this was your to-do list, you had to stop, you had to rest, you had to delight and worship once every seven days, what would that look like for you? When I actually sat and thought about this, I found it really difficult not to have cheese as the answer to all four. So your list will be personal to you. The Lord made you. He knows you. He knows what rest looks like. But this isn't a day off. This isn't a catch-up day. This is a day set aside. And I really think when I thought about Sabbath, the main thing I was thinking is that as I have practiced this in my life and our family have stepped into it, the main thing I've thought is, you can stop once a week and you will be okay. You will be okay. The God who made you and loves you commands you to do this in order that you live the life designed for you. Sabbath is a practice of saying with your body, your time, your money, your family, that God is God, you are not, and you're going to be okay. Again, John Mark Comer interviews this man named Joe on his website. It's like these two-minute Sabbath testimonies. They're really helpful. And this guy, Joe, has a tech startup. He works in an incredibly high-pressured environment. And he says this. He says, Sabbath for me is something I need each week to prepare for war, to go back to my life and to go back to my work. We need to prepare for war. Life in this city is hard. We need to rest and go again. So the last thing I'm going to say before we enjoy communion together and rest some more in the Lord is this. Sabbath can be a journey and it is incredibly personal and I think it's supposed to be. Later on in Matthew 11, if you read literally the next few paragraphs, he rebukes this idea of rule keeping on the Sabbath. He doesn't want people to be kind of bound up by this, I can't do this and I can't do that. It's not about that. It's about this God who calls us in to delightful rest. He says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. This gentle and lowly God is Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. If you have small children, you work shifts, you have elderly parents, you need to work two jobs, you work from home, you're a student, you have deadlines. Jesus knows that about you. And yet he commands you to take Sabbath rest. If you can't see how you would make that happen right now, ask him to show you. You don't have to be ashamed of the life you're living. You don't have to sit with him and create this kind of Disney version of your week and tell him about that and how the Sabbath could fit into that. You can take him, this is my week, Lord. How can I rest here? And he will show you because he knows it all and he calls you into rest. We have four children My husband caters weddings, so he often works on a Saturday, and I'm here working here on a Sunday. It's a challenge in our life to see how 24 hours of rest could land for us, and we've definitely argued over it. My husband is an incredibly spontaneous man. The whole world is today and only today, which is so annoying, and I am someone that likes a five-year plan. I like to shop for a month. He likes to shop one meal at a time. Like, we're very different, and so it's a real challenge to figure out in our family how this is going to work. 
But for us, we decided that Fridays would be our Sabbath. So Adam and I spend the school day together, just the two of us, nine to three. And then the children come home and we try and have a fun Friday night, just the six of us. It's not perfect. It doesn't work 52 weeks a year. There are some weeks when I am so thrilled by what my Fridays look like and other weeks where I think, oh, okay, we'll go again next week. But what I would say is I really notice when I haven't had that day. And honestly, I can say that nothing has been lost by giving the Lord that day. I don't get less done. And if anything... I feel like the rest of the week is more productive because I know on a Wednesday when I'm struggling to love my family and love my life and love all the things I have to do, that Friday is coming and then I go again. I don't want people around me just to hear me speak about life to the full. I don't want to hear just them hear about me talking about this God of grace and hope. I want people around me to see me living a life to the full, a life of hope and joy and peace, a life that looks inviting, a different kind of life, a life where pastries are a right and not a privilege. This morning, I think the Lord is asking us, what is your barrier to rest? What is it in you that stops you coming to him and giving him all of your burdens? And then he invites us to exchange this heavy yoke For his, a well-made, perfectly designed yoke for you and him to carry together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak so specifically to each one of us this morning. That anything I have said that is not of you would be quickly forgotten And the thing that you want each person to hear would go really deep. You know each one of our days. You know everything we carry, all the different ways in which we have to be grown-ups. And yet you call us to be little children in your presence. Come, Lord Jesus, speak to us about rest. Not a rest that sits outside of our lives, but a rest that is in the middle of this life that we are living in relationship with you. And I just pray, Lord, that as each one of us takes the bread and the wine this morning, that it would be a moment of rest with you, a coming to you again moment. We thank you for your kindness. And we know that your arms are open wide to receive us. In Jesus' name, amen.